It's so long since I've, we've done a podcast that I've completely <laughs> forgotten how to speak publicly. So, so um, Doug, me, Sarah. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Recording this on a beach right now, by the way. Oh, wow. You know, really keeping up the sailor thing. No, says Christy, say we were to bed. The time has come. Catherine Bigelow! This and some of the other nice things that have happened to me in the last couple of days may turn me into some sort of hopeful optimist and ruin my whole life. Spoil? <laughs> Did he spoil me? No. I remember quite clearly it was 1946 and I was four years old. My mother took me to see King Vidor's Duel in the Sun. You've got to say, I'm a human being! God damn it! Babel Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. Al film italiano Deserto Rosso di Michelangelo. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them, and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. Three artists in the presentation of the Palm Door. Adele, Leia, and Abdel, 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 we won! Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh! Oh, I did not know that. This is podcast 99. So it's the last time we will be in double digits. The next one will be 100. I don't know when that will be. <laughs> I'm hoping we can get back on the weekly, uh, weekly session. I'm joined by, um, as I've called him earlier, my wingman, Doug. And we have uh, a newcomer who I've been sort of roping in and trying to persuade to get on the show, um, which is Sarah. Um, so, Sarah, where can we, like, people might not know you as Sarah, so I mean, where would we find you, like, on Twitter, for example? If you don't if you don't know me, you can find me on Twitter, at Peppermint Sodas, or I usually write for cinema, etc. But you, you've probably seen me around. Yeah. Uh, Doug, obviously, you can tell people where you are from, but I think we all know. But go ahead anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's it's Doug Jam and my website, The Jam Report. What I want to discuss is the sort of the, the best in um, speech marks, LGBT films, voted by you know a lot of different people. I didn't get, I didn't really get a demographic breakdown but um i don't i don't want to talk about the obvious films although i think some of them will pop up because since it's always a hot topic i think but since i did the video um there's been a few little heated responses to some of the films i mean Sarah, you know there's the warmest color discourse yeah yeah i mean as I'll, I'll be honest with you when i got some of the votes there was actually some of the comments where like i hope this that film is not in this and, and mm. there was Call Me By Your Name, that got a bit of... But the consensus, I think we all knew that these films were going to make the 10, because the consensus is, you know, a very different set of people, and, like, I think we discussed about that Blue is the Warmest Colour, that type of film is like, well... Oh, I, I know that's that type of film, and I've seen you know, it, it was popular, so I'm going to, put, I'm going to vote for that. Mm. So... I'm sure Sarah can speak on that shortly if if we get into it. But yeah, I think 
just I just want to raise a few films that people perhaps have not heard of. I'm sure you guys have got your own, you know, <laughs> films that you think, well, why has nobody seen this? Or what, what about this film? Why did that not get into the ten? <laughs> and I don't want to exclusively talk about the list, but I think it's a good sort of starting point rather than just talking about Brokeback Mountain and, and Carol. You know, we can touch on them, but there's some other films, I think. If that's yeah. okay with you two, I'm, I'm sure you've got a, an endless list. Yep, I have a very long list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, generally, I'm, I'm happy to hear your grapes. I'll start with Sarah. I mean, what generally the list and the, the placing of these, of some of these films, and not, not just this list, but other lists that are very similar. What sort of grapes do you have, and what sort of films are you happy that, you know, made it so high? Um, so for me, I'm a massive fan of Celine Sciamma's films, so I'm very happy to see all, all of her films make it there, even Girlhood, which is a lot more subtextual, like, it could be read as, okay, it has a lesbian director, and there is some subtext of a possible relationship between two of the girls, but there's never anything explicit, so it's interesting to see some films that are making it in out of pure subtext and cultural impact. Uh, I'm not happy to see films like Blue is the Warmest Color do so well, but I understand why they are charting so high, is, of course, it is a Palme d'Or winner, and it has a lot of, well, it's very well known, so a lot of people will vote for it based on name recognition if they haven't seen a lot. And even though a lot of lesbians, we all think that, oh, the film does not represent us well, and it has the whole issue with how the sex scenes were filmed, I do understand why a lot of voters, because it was just anyone voting, I can understand why it could make it that so high just because of name recognition. Yeah, I'm I mean, what, what's your issue with that film? Is it this? Is it the sex scenes, or is it the depiction of the kind of their relationship? Um, it's so the film is based off of a graphic novel that is much more accurate. It lifts most of the relationship from the graphic novel, which does make more sense. The main thing is the sex scenes, how they were filmed, and they are so incredibly inaccurate and just made for like a straight male viewer to watch and be like, "Oh, that's hot." And I, it doesn't represent anything accurately. And for a lot of for a lot of us around my age, this was the first like lesbian film we had seen, and we all like thought, "Oh, this is so intimidating." We're like, "Oh, that's not how it works, is it?" I mean, I'm I'm one of those straight males, but I mean, I really like. I found that very distracting. That that scene. I'm not just saying that just to jump on the, your bandwagon, I suppose. But I did find it a little bit like. As someone switched over to an adult channel now, because for me that film, the regardless of sexuality, the the relationship it builds was what really impressed me the most. The that that coming of age thing, I suppose, is a bit of a cliche now, but but this one did, mm -hmm. did it really well. And I just found that there was that there was another scene later on as well, which wasn't as graphic or long, but because that kind of, of the took scene... me out of it a little bit. Because outside of those scenes, I don't hate it as much as other people. I do like a lot of the story elements, and I think even if you like just cut those scenes from the film, it's almost a much better film without it. But I feel like the scenes as a whole and how they make you view the film are what drag drag it down to that point of notoriety. Mm, um, Doug, did you have any sort of what were you happy with? Was anything you were like, why did that make it in? Um, I, I think yeah, that they kind of the obvious. Um, I wouldn't say mainstream films, but the, the major ones all kind of made it in. It, it wasn't a huge surprise to see something like Brokeback 
uh, be number one. I suppose that's that's the one that sort of first springs to mind with LGBT cinema, particularly around its you know uh, unfortunate best picture loss, which still angers a lot of people to this day. Um, but I think a lot of the films that maybe didn't quite make it either in in the total fifty or even sort of higher up are, are probably ones that are not uh, sort of inherently concerned with LGBT experiences. Maybe that's more superfluous to the plot, and so they don't immediately spring to mind. Or there's there's ones that aren't aren't as well known. So I think it, it is it is a great uh, list overall. And I think for, for anyone who's kind of looking to immerse themselves in this side of, of cinema or, or this genre, if you want to call it a genre, um, it's it's a really great starting point to then kind of go out and research and find these films. So I think I think on the whole it was a really interesting list. I think the biggest pleasant most pleasant surprise I think was the Paris's burning mm. which, which made the which made the ten, which I, I didn't expect mm. at all. But it was mm. nice to see something like that to get that many votes. You know, I think um, in, in sort of recent times that that's kind of got a lot more uh, notoriety because of shows like Pose, which obviously is very, very centred on, on that world. And, and even something like RuPaul's Drag Race is kind of that that film is mentioned a lot in that show. It's 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 I think it's discussed a lot more in other elements of LGBT movies and TV shows and even just on, on, on places like Twitter where I, th- I think people have become much more aware of that recently than they were probably, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's also very interesting to see some of the recency bias of how people vote. Like, that's one of, like, the that is one of the older films in the top 10, which is surprising. Mm. A lot of a lot of films in, like, the next 50 after that, like Je El or um, Bitter Tears of Petra Von Kant, those are, like, very big landmarks in, like, cinema history, and they're fantastic films. They're just not always as put to the forefront, and even when their filmmakers have things that are very well-known, almost canonized, those are almost more wiped from the history of cinema because they're not as known even though their works from LGBT directors because they don't make it as much into the canon. It's interesting to see how people will vote for the more recent films that are actually from LGBT directors because they have gotten their due in their time. Yeah, I think you get with any poll you do now, I think even with just voting for like on Twitter voting for which year would you like us to cover next? People will vote for the closest year Mm. Uh, so yeah, so Paris is Burning being a film thirty years ago, I think that's part of the surprise. I mean, Sarah, just blue is the warmest colour aside, and what films, regardless of where they fell on the list, do you find a, a more accurate depictions in, in any sort uh, of form? Well, with with a lot of those, I think films that are written or directed or even that star like actual gay people as the leads help. Um, I've also noticed there's a strong lack of with trans films where there's very few films where they actually have a trans character played by a tra- played by a trans actor, especially with trans women. There's almost there's almost no stories on there about trans men, which is kind of interesting to see how trans women have more visibility because they like because Hollywood likes to miscast miscast male actors to play them and so you you see a lot of these films with these strange castings make it in and you see very little you see especially very few films by by trans people making it in aside from maybe the wachowskis yeah that's about it it's kind of interesting to see 
how this kind of skews the percentages of like the n- numbers of who in the LGBT community is represented. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of films um, that perhaps are essentially about relationships or any sexual relationship or same sex or whatever the feminine Louise, for example, you know, it's maybe implied or, or how you put it better, Sarah, earlier, but some of these films where it's not direct a direct relationship, but those films got a few votes as well. Films like that where people think read into it. With a lot of like the female friendship movies from, I think it's a lot of '90s and before when there was so little representation of actual lesbian relationships. Um, a lot of women we would see ourselves in films that were trying to depict a friendship, but they'd often go too close. They'd often go too close, and even films that um, were based on source material that was actually about lesbian relationships, things like The Color Purple or Fried Green Tomatoes that had adapted the explicit nature of the relationship and had kind of washed it down to a friendship, those ended up being very similar to films like Thelma and Louise and how they would depict it. So a film like Thelma and Louise would be almost written into that same category of film. Yeah, definitely. Um, Doug, do you have any other sort of lesser-known films uh, that you that you'd like to have seen higher in the list or at least just want to kind of Give a shout out, I suppose. I, well, I kind of expected um, there's an Australian movie called Holding the Man. I, I didn't expect it to get on, on the list because I just think it's it's not as well known outside of Australia um, as it is here. I mean, and it is a fairly recent film as well, but it, it is, it started here as a, as a play, which was very, very popular. Um, I remember seeing the play years ago and, and, and was so excited that they were making a film adaptation of it. Uh, it is a very sad film because it, it takes place in the sort of 80s and 90s. And so it's obviously centred on the a, a HIV crisis. And, and it's, a, it's a love story of these two, two guys that, that meet in, in high school and it kind of uh, follows their relationship um, over time that unfortunately both of them do end up uh, becoming HIV positive. So it is a very, very beautiful film and it's a beautiful romance and it's, it's very accurate as well. It was written by uh, the, the main character in the film. He, it's his story and he wrote the play uh, and obviously wrote what the screenplay was based on. So it's a very, very personal film. And we, we'd never seen uh, something touch on the the AIDS crisis in Australia. We've seen so much cinema about um, the American experience, but but it, it was uh, as as sort of widespread in Australia as it was in most most corners of the world. And it was the first time, certainly, I'd ever seen a, a piece of uh, both uh, theatre and cinema uh, capture that experience. So it was um, a really beautiful film. Unfortunately, I think it came out the same year as Mad Max. So the Australian uh, film uh, Film Academy Awards were dominated by Mad Max. Otherwise, it probably would have won a whole bunch of awards here, which was a shame. But um, I, I'm not really sure how people would seek that one out because it's, it's obviously readily available here. I'm sure it's available on some sort of streaming services overseas, but if, if people can find it, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, look, that one. I mean, you shouldn't complain too much because Adventures of Priscilla and the Queen of the Desert made it, so, which yes, is Australia. Yes, yes. Um, there's a couple of other Australian films that, that popped in there as well. 
Well, look, I know there's always a bit of sort of backlash over Priscilla. I know it's obviously very silly and it's not, you know, it's not a particularly serious film, but in terms of visibility of, of, the, of drag culture, I mean, it's been a huge, huge part of Australian uh, lifestyle for a very, very long time. And we were kind of on the forefront of b- before, you know, RuPaul and before Drag Race and all that kind of stuff, you know, brought it into the mainstream. Priscilla really did put that, that whole world on the map. Um, and the, the fact that it, it actually broke out of Australia and, and became quite popular in the States and obviously won an Oscar for its, you know, insane costume design was really great. And then uh, uh, you know, America tried to replicate that with um, Tu Wong Fu with... with um, I've gone blank. Who's in that movie? Um, Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze yeah. yeah. Which, which, I mean, it, it was a very, very similar film uh, in terms of that kind of road trip of drag queens going on a, a road trip across the country. Um, didn't quite work as well, but, you know, I think that it, it, it really did capture, particularly the Sydney drag scene, which has been such a mainstay of, 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 of I've known that for a very, very long time. So it was great to see that on screen. And I think it really did celebrate something that was still being fairly ridiculed at the time. Uh, it wasn't taken quite seriously. And it, it showed the men behind behind the makeup and behind the costumes. So I, I think it's... It's one of my my fav- most favourite films of all time. And it's 1994, so that was a year well, for Australian yeah. cinema. Yes. Are you rated about that, then, Andrew? I would love to, yeah. And we were all wedding that year as well. So it was a, a really, really great year for, for Australian cinema. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Tony Collette, hello. Welcome to the, yeah. the world yeah. of cinema, yeah. <laughs> for, for us, anyway. <laughs> um, I'm going to mention a couple. I'm mean, just talking about accuracies in... What do we make of films like uh, Imitation Game? And I'm glad it didn't make it. I'm not a big fan of this movie. And also mm. the... Um, I've forgotten the name of the film now. Um, Eddie Redmayne. Uh, Danish Elise, Girl? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, touching upon those issues of who plays what and accuracy. What do um, we feel about those? Blaming Rhapsody, perhaps? So, <laughs> I would say imitation... I don't think either does well. Imitation Game does largely erase Alan Turing's, Turing's homosexuality, and they basically scrub why he was caught for it and what happened, and they essentially sanitize the entire story to just bookend it with it. But I feel like that's in a better position than The Danish Girl, for example, which had potential to tell a genuinely interesting story with a Hollywood budget and to uplift trans actors, and then they cast Eddie Redmayne in it. And it's interesting to see how a film that... in So there's so little trans representation in film that a film like that where they do get it on a high profile, it's so poorly and inaccurately done that it's almost regressive. And you see with a lot of the trans film community on Twitter, you see a lot of the films that they mention as trans films you don't think of as explicitly. I know I read a really good essay. I forgot uh, I forgot the Twitter handle of the writer who wrote this. I'll shut her up in the comments and my Twitter replies later. But she wrote an essay on how she thinks Gummo is a more is one of the most accurate um, trans women experiences on film. And it's, it's really interesting to see how a lot of communities that don't get accurate representation find closer representations of their experience in like other art films than something that say Hollywood is trying to make to directly relate to them. I know there's a there's a film I don't know if the documentaries on Netflix now. I know there's a, a documentary that's everyone's sort of talking about. It. I think that touches upon that film in particular. 
but some of yeah. the, some of the which I'm gonna I've not, I can't really comment on it because I haven't seen it. I regret, but I am. It is on my list. It's um, really good. Like it's very like I watched it the other night. It's, it's called Disclosure. It's very eye-opening to just the the sort of very long history of trans representation in in both TV and cinema. Um, and they particularly yeah do mention things like the Danish Girl and Dallas Buyers Club where, you know, cis males are cast in trans roles and, and so often celebrated for, you know, the bravery of doing that. And and it does hurt the trans community that that is taken away from a trans actor who could play that character far more authentically um, because you are then seeing them outside of the cinema as a trans person rather than... They, they do comment on, in the documentary about sort of seeing Jared Leto at the Oscars you know, you, you see the juxtaposition between what he looks like in real life and what he looks like in the film. Uh, whereas if it was a trans person, you wouldn't make that disconnect uh, and, and it wouldn't be so, I guess, jarring in a way. And, 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 the, and just the reaction, it was very interesting to hear trans people reacting to those sorts of films, which I think a lot of people think do a lot of good for the representation of, 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 of their people. But in reality, they actually find it quite damaging. I know the last year's the film festival last year that we we had one of the films was was called um, the dress you have on and that was about a relationship where one of them had transitioned and now they were c- coming up against a kind of barrier so, so two women now uh, and that was played by a trans actor you know that was so so it was probably based on you know she could base her performance on those experiences but you're like seeing Eddie Redmayne. And I've seen the clip where he's at the Oscars and everyone's praising him, and he's it's like, yeah, it's slightly different. <laughs> you know, it's it's a little bit strange. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had two films, Can You Ever Forgive Me and Bohemian Rhapsody, which are very different depictions of gay men. Um, one was a hit and one was kind of largely ignored. Sadly, it should have been the other way around, in my opinion. Someone like Richard mm. Grant playing that character and, and touching on on the you know the the aids as well as as being light-hearted and uh, it should have won to be fair and then you've got Bohemian Rhapsody where the like Sarah mentioned that I felt that the gay theme there was just swept under the rug as much as it was his his ethnicity which is a big part of Freddie Mercury was swept under the rug and yet that film still broke the box office it's like it's being sanitized to get a larger audience who may be able to try and ignore those aspects that would be challenging to their to their views. And so it's trying to get an audience of everyone, even people who mm. would want to watch if it was so if it was clearer about everything about the person, the biopic. Yeah, and the, I mean they tick the boxes, do they tick the ethnic box, they tick the sexuality box in the film, but then they don't pursue it. Which I and it was... works because you know it it made. $800 million, and I think it, it always irks me that, that it's now considered the highest-grossing LGBT film of all time, and it's just, it's it's so not an LGBT film in, in the purest sense. It's it's quite ridiculous to put it in that category. Uh, and then we saw something like Rocket Man really uh, do the opposite and, and quite focus quite heavily on Elton John's sexuality, uh, you know, and they only had one sex scene, but at least it was better than the absolutely zero in, in Bohemian Rhapsody. And Rocket Man, you know, barely made a blip at the box office, 
did I think it didn't get the only Oscar nomination was Elton John's song. It just got completely ignored by the Academy. Whereas Bohemian Rhapsody walks away with four. Um, it, it showed that that there's still a long way to go in in terms of those films. If you're going to do a biopic of a person whose sexuality was ultimately a big part of their life, to basically ignore that is is it's it's actually you know quite offensive because that that that's who Freddie Mercury was and the, you know touching on it with that that ridiculous scene where he's outside a truck stop toilet and that that's the closest we get to kind of getting an insight into his sexuality it was just just so ridiculous. Yeah, that was. It, it felt like a scene they just threw that in there just in case. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. We, the modern artists didn't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that like, even it's one of the sad things is not just the depiction, but it is the fact that films like that, an imitation game, are so successful. I mean, imitation game was obviously a big Oscar player, but it was also slammed for you know for the set depictions of homosexuality that it was just kind of cast aside a little bit. It's really funny to see with that one because um, I know I tried to watch it with my family when they came out and they're like, oh no, there's gay stuff in here. And I'm, I'm watching this, I'm just like, there's nothing happening. <laughs> I don't see how this could offend anyone. Yeah, so it's, even in spite of those things, in people speak up and say, hang on, this isn't accurate. These films are still big, really successful. That's a, an issue as well, separate to the depiction, I think. But, you know, Hollywood, what are you going to do? I'm going to mention just a couple of films that didn't make the 50 that kind of have stayed with me. Um, quite an old film, I suppose we can call it, is a film called Go Fish, which was... Um, Love that movie. Yeah, but this is when I was at college, so I was like a, young, a teenager um, studying film, sort of officially studying film, you know, actually wanting to get a qualification of some kind. Uh, this was a film we watched um, because it was like the back then in 93, 94 was the the indie scene was huge and this was part of it and yeah I mean that, that was that's a really touchstone film that one um, and I also like Before Night Falls which I thought would do far better with the voting Javier Bardem it's such a great film um and Kiss of the Spider Woman as well, which again we're we're going way back now to the eighties, but Kiss of the Spider Woman is an interesting depiction. Um, William Hare won an Oscar for that for that performance. What what other like even go further back? Do we have films that you know really do depict? Maybe not relationships, but they depict the LGBT scene or you know deserve the place in cinema that go beyond. 90s, 80s, do, what do we have that's ancient? Um, so I know Kino Lorber used, uh, just did this restoration thing that I had um, gotten screeners for to see, where they restored um, a few early German films that did this. Um, the early German scene was actually really good with this. Uh, there's an early uh, film called Carl, by Carl Theodor Dreher called Michael, where it is a straightforward romance between a male painter and his male model and it's really interesting to see because this thing is from the early 20s and it has and it has a clearer relationship than a lot do today um it has uh meshen in uniform which is a um, german film that had started the trope of boarding school lesbian films which has continued for quite a while um films like 2001's lost and delirious still keep doing this um 
the French film Olivia from the early 40s is another example of this. This was the first French lesbian film. And it's interesting to see how far this goes back, especially outside of the U.S., where they didn't have things like the Hayes Code to prevent to prevent depicting this, where they have these clear relationships in films this early on. They have these clear same-sex relationships, and you'll see early films even playing gender roles when that was less clear where they'll have like scenes of like cross-dressing in silent films, and that was considered the closest thing they had to any sort of gender queerness. Yeah, the uh, mention in uniform was, uh, I think, just checking out, it was like four places for making the 50, so it was close. There's that short film as well, isn't there? The, uh, I can't pronounce it, Unchained de Moore. Oh, yes. Uh, the Yeah, the prison one. Which I, uh, I watched for the first time, and I'll be honest... I was quite shocked by what I saw, but because of its time, like... Yeah, with a lot of the earlier stuff, like Kenneth Anger, I know I have my own issues of Scorpio Rising and its flippant depiction of Nazism, but a lot of, like, Kenneth Anger's earlier stuff, a lot of Barbara Hammer as well in the early 70s, it's really interesting to see that a lot of the early LGBT film by gay directors is a lot more transgressive it's a lot more experimental and you see a lot of this experimental film being left out of the canon so it looks like it looks like there was very little representation when actually everything was diy done yourself done yourself often banned and so it's really interesting to see it all resurface lately and come back into almost starting its own canon Doug, do you have any sort of ancient classics Well, I think the the interesting thing when I was doing the the best picture reviewing all of them that there's actually a, a, a same sex kiss in Wings, which is the first um, best picture winner. There's two men kissing in that. It's very like out of nowhere and it doesn't really go anywhere. But it was really interesting to see that sort of pre code film go there. Um, the, you know, there's two pilots who are, are fighting over Clara Bow, but then at one point they share a kiss and it's, it's never really explored. And I'm not sure if the film has a gay subtext that's, <laughs> that's meant to be there or wh- why that scene takes place. But it was, it was kind of interesting to see, you know, I guess the first best picture would actually featured an LGBT moment that, that I, I suppose most people don't necessarily talk about, but that was quite, I remember it was quite surprising because I'd never heard anyone talk about that moment in that film. Mm. The, the Academy are listening. I'm going, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Clearly it went their heads. I don't know. Um, but I think on, on a personal level, the, the first film, I know this isn't an ancient film, but the first film that I saw that really sort of touched me was, was The Birdcage, um, because I, I think at the time I would have been sort of 9, 10, knowing who I was, but never really seeing it represented, because I, I'm quite jealous of, of the next generation of LGBT youth, that they have such access to gay cinema with, with things like Netflix and streaming services. Yeah, I'm the age when YouTube was starting to have all the, like, lesbian movies uploaded um, in, like, really, really crappy quality when I was, like, 12 years old and starting to realize. So, like, I found a copy of Water Lilies when I was really, really young, and I, I was just like, ah, oh, that explained it. And so, like, I think, but I'm a cheerleader, imagine me and you. All of that was, like, free on YouTube in, like, in, like 180p. And so... I think it's a lot easier now that, like, those are being added to streaming services because of demand, but, like, being able to, like, find that in some quality and being able to just, like, type it in, being like, oh, that explains it, is really helpful, especially for my generation, the generation mm. after me. So it's bad case for you, was it, Doug? Yeah, yeah, I think 
I mean, obviously, it's a very mainstream film, and it's it's mm. it's very silly and it's it's very fun. But I think uh, I'd never seen sort of a, a normal depiction of of just a, a, a monogamous gay relationship uh, of two men that had raised a son, no less, um, and were completely accepted by the people around them. And the crux of that movie is that these you know, outsiders come in and make them feel like they're ashamed and that the, the sort of conclusion of that is, well, no, you're the ones with the problem, not us. And I think that kind of really helped me understand that it was okay, that, that it, it wasn't so much I'm the problem, it's other people who have the problem. Um, they're the ones that need to change, not me. And as, as ridiculous as that film is, and, and it is inherently a comedy, there was quite an important message in that that, that really sort of broke through for me and opened my eyes that I'd never seen things like that before. Um, and so then was trying to then find as much LGBT cinema as I could on the sly, which was obviously quite difficult given this was still the days of video stores and, and, and hoping to find something on TV, which just wasn't there. So to, to, to see it presented under the guise of a, a mainstream film was, was very, very helpful. What I definitely want to see is in the future film moving away from showing that shame because when you're young, you see a lot of fi- a lot of the first films you will see and a lot of the first films that are recommended to you will directly depict us like shameful. Even Carol, which is considered like mm. the big lesbian film with the happy ending, she gets her kid taken away. It's made a big shameful thing, and even though they go against it in the end, it's made a big shameful thing, and it's often really upset. I want while I do like that there is we should be like showing that it doesn't have to be shameful and i've also been on a thing where i'm like i want to try and find like more movies with like lesbian moms where it's not like they're leaving a husband like you never you very <laughs> rarely see that in a movie. Mm. Like, it's so hard to find a good movie about gay moms yeah no yeah i, mean, I think what popped into my head then was um the the kids the kids are all right but mm. not not in the same way but but even in that she, she gets cheated on, you know, and then there's yep, another. she cheats on her with a man. Yeah, and it's like it, I, I was watching that thinking, well, that, that's ridiculous. The other thing is, um, there's another film called Kissing Jessica Steen, which was I don't know if you've seen that film, which I found. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> really, really funny, and re- it sort of broke a few doors down. But then she, it doesn't work out, and she, she gets the hunk's telephone number at the end. It, kind of like, hang on a minute, we've well, spent an hour and a half sort of saying it's okay to be like this and then she you know, she falls for the for the for the straight guy at the end. It seems a bit disappointing really. I think that that's a that's a lot with, with sort of gay cinema as it is concerned with the the negative aspects and, you know, the the films that touch on AIDS or um, you know, uh, violence and, and homophobia and like that that that's not the entirety of the gay experience like it obviously is an element and it needs to be addressed but when those films only focus on those elements it is it is such a negative experience um and as 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 sort of uh, generic as something like love simon was it was it was pleasing to see something not centered on that like yes he was struggling and yes he you know it was it was his uh journey of of acceptance but it was it was a mostly positive film and i know that got some backlash because it was kind of seen as being too positive you know everybody around him was was so accepting so quickly and and it's not representative of everybody's experience with coming out but it was it was a nice refreshing change to see something uh a bit more positive in 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 that element of 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 an experience 
Yeah, I was someone who had issues with Love, Simon's. I felt like it was not really made for me. It was almost made for, yeah. like, who were my peers at the time to, like, understand that gay people are just like you. But it's also yeah. interesting to see films that do, like, depict difficult aspects. And I know a film that made it quite high on the list is BPM, um, which is quite interesting because it's a film that it has a lot. So I think director, producer, almost all of the actors, none like, Nobody who worked on this film was straight. Um, but it was really interesting to see that film, how it's talking about AIDS, it's talking about the AIDS crisis, multiple characters die, but it, it's mainly focused on building the community and building the community to fight back. And it's showing that even through harder things, there is this positive community building. It was really interesting to see a film where, unlike Love, Simon, which just shows Simon as like this isolated like gay man surrounded surrounded by a world where no one's like him it's interesting to see a film that shows this community building where even though it does show like the aids crisis and a lot of the struggles with that there is a really good aspect of community building and showing how people can band together and get past it and it you can you can tell it was made by gay people that's a very good film um Mm -hmm. i mean what do we think of there's a new film out uh irish film called um dating amber have you seen that Oh, I am currently working on reviewing that. I kind of saw that as a Love, Simon situation. I don't know. I wanted to like it, but I felt like it was made for, like, a, like, I don't know. I feel like I've outgrown grown it a bit, and some of like, it seemed almost too on the nose, and the characters really bothered me. But I do like that it's something that it's almost for like a younger, like thirteen year old kid that they can watch it with their with their parents, maybe skip a scene or two, but they can like watch it like with family and like almost help them understand it. I know a film a few years ago called Hearts Beat Loud. I've shown to family because it's something that it's not a bad film. It it doesn't dumb things down, but it's still something that you can easily use to show people what it is. Right. Is that the 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 girl who sings with her dad? Was that a different film? Yeah, it's that one. Is it that one? Right. Okay. Yeah. One thing I want to mention, I don't know if you've seen this, Sarah, and Doug as well, I suppose, is a film called Circumstance from 2011. I really like this film. Um, oh, that was good. Yeah. Because it was it was kind of subtle and it was kind of. Well, the, the director, obviously, Mariam Keshavaz, who's, who's Iranian, raised in America, but she's from Iran, she she knew that that film was not going to get released because of what it depicted and because of the Iranian culture and everything else we know. And she still made it, and she shot it in, in uh, Lebanon. But that film's not like Blue is the Warmest Colour, which is graphic. Um, this is not that. It's, it's, it's very tender, the, the most sort of I think what we said the most explicit scene is that they strip down and run into the sea which if, for that culture you know they actually have to sort of look around make sure no one's looking they're sort of in bed together and they're just it's just touching you know and there's nothing explicit and that's what I really liked about this film that it was that we've all been there in whatever relationships We've, we've had. It's a similar creation to the Kenyan film Rafiki from a Ruf- few years ago. Rafiki, Remember yeah. the whole scandal of that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Where, like, it couldn't get a release in the Tom country, but they still made it because it's so rare that you see almost non-Western cultures with films. Like, um, I know a film that I really like. It's called A Bride for Rip Van Winkle, where it does show a scene where two women... It has 
it has a relationship that develops midway through the film where two women get married. It's interesting because this film has three different cuts. There is a four-hour cut, and a two-hour cut, and a three-hour cut. The three-hour cut is the only one that has the wedding. It's cut from the longer version as well. Um, interesting to see how this film doesn't really get a repu- reputation as a gay film, even though it, the character, main character, I believe, would be considered bisexual. There is a there is a relationship between two women in it, but because it's never been advertised as such, it's been kind of slipped in. It's interesting to see that it's never really treated as such. Mm. And one last film I will mention is a Cuban film. I'm getting more obscure now. I've mentioned it before. It's a film called Una Noche, uh, 2012, I think. That's female director as well. And it wasn't on the list I found of, of um, kind of, I suppose, LGBT films directed by women you know that niche and i looked i looked through the list and this film was not actually on there i mean but but that's a film we wish you should we should sort of look out for and and like holding the man doug mentioned i'm not sure if you can stream it there's some films that you just cannot find and this one is yeah i've watched quite a where i'm where i can't find some where i can't find english subtitles i'm like great gotta stumble through and hope i remember french well enough (laughs) um there's a french film called real love that it's i believe it's i'm hoping it's getting a u.s release at some point it came out in france last year where it whereas a minor plot it shows the 14 year old daughter in a family having her first like relationship with a woman it's treated so casually and it's really interesting because the filmmaker had made it in her hometown that had been a lot less accepting and she almost made the film to kind of show her that show her town as well that it is something that's okay and it is something to normalize and it's really interesting to see a lot of these smaller films that don't get international too yeah, there was a, a film I saw a couple of months ago because we uh, in Sydney we had Mardi Gras in March and so we have the Mardi Gras Film Festival. Um, it's called End of the Century. It's an Argent- Argentinian film. And I don't know how people would watch this, but it, it was a really... I was quite surprised that I hadn't heard more about it because I think it was from 2019, so it's probably been at sort of some smaller festivals last year uh, and we were lucky to get it at our own film festival and it was it was a really beautiful film i was quite surprised it's um it's about two men um who are both happy to be vacationing in in barcelona and and they have a just a casual hookup and then they realize that they actually met each other 20 years earlier and their lives have gone down very different paths and then they kind of reconnect and it almost it's sort of similar to to weekend in a lot of ways in that you know a, a, a one-time hookup can actually be far more meaningful and there's there's far more to it than than just a casual thing and there's it's sort of it, it, it the ending is uh, almost la la land like um in in the way it's kind of framed around this kind of fantasy of what their life could have been together had they stayed together 20 years earlier so it was um a really, really beautiful, and it's beautifully shot. Obviously, it's on location in Barcelona, so it's a beautiful setting for a film. But, uh, I would, if people can sort of seek that out, I would, I would highly recommend it. Hard to believe we've not mentioned two filmmakers, uh, Almodova and um, Xavier Dolan, the Canadian. You know, they, they did very well in the in the list. I think um, Dolan does a great job of representing his own experience. Um, and I'm even a big fan of his own Lawrence anyways, even though I know it has its issues. And I know that trans community has a lot of major issues with the casting. And I should have, I know I should have a problem with this, but it, his style is like fascinating. He's one of the few like gay directors that has been allowed to make enough films and has gotten enough funding that he's been able to, to develop such a 
consistent style in such a short time by making so many films. And it's really interesting to see, like, who gets to be almost an auteur um, nowadays with them. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up. I mean, there's a couple of questions I would like to ask, I suppose, if you want to answer them. I mean, that is, where's LGBT cinema going now? And what more would you like to see? What more What aspects of storylines, point of views? Well, first of all, I want to be able to see less of the, like, white Western, like, cisgender experience, I suppose. Like, I guess most of us should want to see more experiences. But I do want to see, like, a wide variety of cultures be allowed to have the societal progress to be able to make these films. I also want to see more in genre cinema. I know there's, there's a lot of, like... Like, horror movies tend to have, like, the shock value lesbianism. I want, like, I want some good horror movies there, you know? I think we need to, like, start existing more in genre films, too, instead of the direct romance, more of the film isn't about someone being gay, the film is just a gay character existing, or it's just part of the film more casually existing. And I also think we should have more of us telling our stories so we don't have situations like the like Imitation Game or The Danish Girl. Um, I think it needs to be focused on if the, if we are going to this Hollywood level, it needs to be it needs to be told accurately through its own perspective, rather than misadapting these stories to be more palatable. Yeah, I think you know we are making inroads with with more films from gay filmmakers, um, starring you know people of the LGBT community, so that we're not getting that sort of inauthentic uh cinema that doesn't that feels like someone's perspective of of a gay experience rather than the lived experience uh you know i think one of the worst examples of that is the movie stonewall which just was so misguided because it didn't it wasn't from a gay filmmaker and he didn't understand the history of that moment and, and kind of clouded it with with his own views on it so i think we're moving more towards that I and mean, that that's always been the case on the the sort of indie cinema side as we're getting those in authentic pieces, but more mainstream pieces that are from gay filmmakers who deserve to have their moment, who deserve to, to be heard um, and, and share their experiences, both positive and negative. And I think uh, yeah, it, it would be great to see those sorts of films where the, the person's sexuality is, is almost superfluous to the plot, that, it, that they just happen to be a gay person in a film that's, that's, something that's centred on something else completely, that, it, that it's not necessarily just about that. They're not spending the whole movie talking about that. They're, they're, it's a different genre. It's a different narrative. Uh, and, we're, and we're certainly seeing more of that. But, um, you know, it, it, it is pleasing to see more gay films get, get more... Um, more of a spotlight in in this world, and and the as I said before, sort of the accessibility of that with with streaming services is it's, it's so easy to access now uh, that that people should be seeking out these films as, as much as they can instead of just waiting to see the ones that are, are, are highlighted by award season or you know exalted above others uh, that that they are out there. There's there's hundreds of them, and it, they're so easy to find. Absolutely. Okay, we'll, we'll, um, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you both. Great celebration. And just for everybody just to look out for podcast 100. We have no idea really what it's going to be yet. But, <laughs> you know, give us a shout. Um, thank you, Doug. And thank you, Sarah. You must have done it. Thank again. you. Sarah. Um, thank you. Uh,